pour pockets up a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start up with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. I am recording from the car, not driving today. I'm sitting in front of the auto dealership waiting for them to open so I can get my car serviced. And so I figured I would get this episode out. This episode's coming out on Wednesday. Hopefully I may be able to settle back into my standard schedule. We'll have a Wednesday show and then a Spotlight Sunday show. Today is mostly just responding to calls, and I'm going to get into those calls pretty early here, but I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank Rayotis for the Coffee Cup Clip Art. I want to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music, and I want to thank all the callers. You know, really appreciate the calls. So let's kind of, today's calls range a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about Power by the Apocalypse. We're going to talk about the Anchor Apocalypse. Anchor podcast is no more. Now it's Spotify or podcast by Spotify. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about adjust or, you know, modern games, modern combat and adjusting your games to best fit that. And we're going to go the range from simulationist to how to abstract that a little bit. So that's what's on the dock. So let's go to our first caller. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jace. It's Joe. Uh, just calling in to, I don't know, I'd say, uh, I guess, apologize for not calling in for a while. Um, but yeah, no, I just wanted to agree with some of the other other folks that said that uh, the anchor apocalypse is really uh, the driving factor in in the the slowing down of calls. Um, taking that extra step, uh, you know, it just means that I can't really call in while I'm driving or or whatnot. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoy your um, uh, your contests and whatnot. I, I look forward to that stuff. It's just that you know, this past few months has just been rough. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a call back and, and put an entry in. Um, anyway, uh, keep it up, man. I'm always looking forward to listening to your podcast as, you know, along with all the other great podcasts that we've been listening to for, you know, several, several years now. Right. Um, yeah, you guys are awesome. Uh, Jason, keep doing your thing, brother. I'll talk to you. Hey, Joe, thank you so much. Of course, that's Joe Salvador of Raven Guy Games. He has the Reaver playtest out right now. Pay what you want on DriveThruRPG. Check that out. There'll be a Kickstarter coming up down the road. Just finished up a very successful Kickstarter. Joe's doing great things, and um, I'm very fortunate to be able to play in 
his in the Reaver play test and, and play in a biweekly game that he runs. I definitely agree that the whole Anchor Apocalypse now podcast by Spotify, you know, it's no longer Anchor. But the fact they've taken away the ability to call in from the app has calls have just plummeted. It's really affected our style of podcasting, this conversational style of getting the calls in and responding to calls. You know, I try to overcome that. You know, you can reach out to me on a Google voice number if you're in the U.S. I got a speak pipe for people in the U.S. or out of the U.S. The You know, if you use Google voice out of the U.S., you'll probably get long distance charges, but speak pipe, you won't get any charges. You can record a voice memo on your phone's voice recorder and email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com or you can send it to me on a Discord. I'm on a number of Discords, so you can direct message it to me on Discord. You can send email. You can still go to the webpage for the podcast and leave a message on there, but you have to have a Spotify account to do that. Or So it's kind of a pain in the butt. They've definitely made it harder. Um, but but I've tried to make it as easy as possible for people to to reach out. But but yeah, it's it's definitely cut into the calls. Uh, thank you for the kind thoughts though, Joe. I, I I do appreciate it. And Joe has a great entry into our martial arts contest. So let's talk about that for a second. The contest this month is martial arts. You know, pick your favorite martial arts movie or maybe your favorite martial arts book, and it doesn't have to be your favorite, but pick a martial arts movie or martial arts book. And what from that do you want to adapt to a role-playing game? What move or what, um, you know, weapon or, or, or what technique, what do you see there that's really cool that you like to adapt over? So this all started because Barney from Local Ludus called in talking about a, a movie or the acupuncture needles and the idea of, you know, adapting using acupuncture needles as weapons in your game. And, and so ideas like that. And, um, we've already got some great entries. I I hope to get some more entries in there. Um, so get those in. All the details are in the show notes. Now, our next caller is another Joe, Joe Richter of the Hindsightless podcast. So I'm going to turn it over to him. He's called, he joined me on a spotlight Sunday to talk about powered by the apocalypse games, specifically apocalypse world Daniel Norton called in also praising those games, and Joe has kind of a response to that. Uh, before I go to Joe Richter, I forgot to mention that the 22nd of March is the deadline for this contest. So as I'm releasing this episode, it's the 15th of March, so you have one week still to call in your entry for the martial arts contest. So get those entries in. What up, dude? Happy to hear you back on the mic. Yeah, it, it's a bummer about Anchor, but, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah, you were talking, I just got finished listening to you talk to Daniel about his call-in about our Apocalypse World episode. Thanks, Daniel. That was nice. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned how you should really find somebody who's really good at running Apocalypse World because a bad GM can ruin it for you. And you did mention that that can happen with any game, but I just wanted to bring it up. That can happen with any game. <laughs> Warhammer, the role-playing game, is probably... Well, no, it's not probably. It is my least favorite role-playing game I've ever played. I absolutely hate it. And that's because... The GM was so bad. I, I did not like the way they ran the game, and he totally spoiled the game for me. So it, it 
Apocalypse World isn't different in the fact that a good game master can make it a better game. It's the same as any other game. So, you know, you don't need to find somebody who's good at running the game. But if you do, it'll be a better game, just like with any game out there. (laughs) If you find a really good dungeon master, keeper, MC, referee, whatever, that's going to be a better game than a bad one of those. So, yeah, Apocalypse World isn't this strange animal it's just an awesome little role-playing game that's super easy and fun um and yeah daniel i hope you do play it it you know we did (laughs) i didn't really that was kind of a spur of the moment talk that jason and i had i haven't played or run apocalypse world in over a year so just the fact that we were able to talk about it for as long as we did i thought was pretty cool and i'm glad at least one person out there got something out of it man so thanks for your call daniel thanks for having me on the show jason and welcome back dude talk to you later peace out Joe, thanks for that input. I I will push back a little bit that even if you have somebody that's a good GM, I I think you have to have somebody that understands the Power by the Apocalypse system or they try to run it like a trad game, like a traditional game. And and I've been in games where that's happened, where the GM's like, well, well, what move are you doing? And and that kind of defeats the purpose (laughs) of... You, you know, I mean, yeah, you can play it that way, but it's not going to be a good game. And you're going to say, well, that's a bad GM. But, you, you know, I, I the point is, if you're going to learn Apocalypse World, play with a GM that understands Apocalypse World or uh, understands Dungeon World or whatever Powered by the Apocalypse game it is. That That's my point. And, and, and you know, we, we can go in circles but about what a good GM or a bad GM is. But if they don't understand the system, they're not going to do a good job at it and your experience will suffer because I've been in games where that's been the case. Um, so anyway, but that little nitpick aside, thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate it. Now we're going to get into a couple calls where we kind of dive into this idea of tactics. So Sam called in and we've had this ongoing discussion about tactics and, you, you, you know, how to simulate or how to replicate real world kind of things from modern gunfights and all. And I've got and I've got a couple calls, one from Carl Rodriguez, the Geomologist Presents, who was there at the beginning of this conversation when you know we're talking about Merc 2000. And then Anthony, also known as Runeslinger from Casting Shadows, calls in and gives his two cents. So I'm going to play those calls. I, I, I'll probably comment something after Carl's call, and they'll play Anthony's. And then I'll kind of give my thoughts after Anthony's. So let's get into it. Hey, Jason, I thought I'd left you a message about your Apocalypse World episode. And I I actually thought that I had purchased Apocalypse World and bounced off it. But what I actually bought was Legacy Life Among the Ruins 2nd Edition. And I don't know if that's the 2nd Edition Apocalypse World. But I still bounced off of it. And that's mainly because I never played uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. It was kind of like a a mercy buy. I went to this gaming store that was not Dragon's Lair in Austin. Um, it's like Dragon's Lair has like a monopoly up there or something. But uh, and I felt bad. And then I, even though I normally get a discount at Dragon's Lair, at least the one in San Antonio, I said, okay, well, I'm going to buy this. This looks cool. But I hadn't played any Powered by the Apocalypse games. Um, but now I played a few, and I really enjoyed. Um, someone who does a really good Powered by the Apocalypse game is. 
Kevin Madison of Dungeon Musings, and I played City of Mists and Cult with him as the MC. And uh, I really enjoyed both. City of Mist was a really neat superhero game. Um, I did like the, the kind of archetypes that we had and, and how we did the moves for the superhero powers and things like that. And Cult was really good. I'd love to get Cult back up to the table. I think I, I feel like I need to read more about it to properly do it. But now that I've sat at the feet of uh, Kevin Madison to run these games, I, could, I feel like I could run them. The cool thing about Legacy Life Among the Ruins is that it has not just playbooks for your individual characters, but playbooks for your clan and family, which is kind of interesting. So you could have a different different types of clans and families, and they have this idea of a you know rebuilding the world after a massive apocalypse. Um, how many generations out are you? What are you trying to do? So it's a, a grand strategy to desperate struggle, a game of histories, endless variety, and then you can start play with a quick start because they have one in here, which is pretty cool. So I may revisit it. I know my uh, home group has been wanting to do Powered by the Apocalypse. I think they wanted to do Monsters of the Week because it seemed more palatable to them and episodic. So we could get a one-shot out, but maybe a Legacy Life Among the Ruins, the quick start uh, could work uh, with that. So, um, so yeah. Oh, and then I just heard your recent podcast and you mentioned Cthulhu Tech. I'm like, I think I have that. So I dug out my Catalyst uh Catalyst Game Labs Wildfire Cthulhu Tech book. And I guess you said that they're making a new one. Maybe it's Mongoose that's redoing it. But uh, yeah, I, and it's a weird system. So hopefully they will revamp it. I don't know what Mongoose would do. I guess they're going to make it a 2D6 uh, pseudo-traveler type of game. I don't know. But it seems like you roll um, roll hand pools of D10s, and you have to get certain die configurations. Um, doubles or straights and um and then add it to your ability score and that's your target that you hit you have to hit a target number because that's the basic and i believe it's d10s although it never says d10s but based on the examples it has to be d10s <laughs> because yeah it says oh you rolled a nine and eight and a two okay um so anyway that's pretty cool so so yeah um i guess i don't know i I think the only time I use tactics as a skill has been in Traveler, and that's usually the benefit of tactics is it gives the player character's group a bonus to their initiative if the person makes their tactics roll. I agree with Sam that I think the recon should be played out, and definitely Twilight 2000, the new edition, has comprehensive rules for that as do, as it does for suppressive fire i really like what they do with suppressive fire and it's the mechanic it's built in that a a more powerful gun with a more rapid rate of fire is going to have more chances of suppressed suppressive fire because there's definitely is a coolness under fire mechanic and it goes up based on your experience and your squad's experience and it's a really good um, good good game uh, i can't say enough about it and um it's still it's still deadly as hell and i think uh, the why how our krakow or how the krakow coalition the free krakow coalition has survived so long is because of uh, using that that maxim of you know 
Carl, thank you for that input. There's a link to the Dungeon Musers YouTube channel in the show notes so people can check that out. That's where Carl recommended you go check out for Powered by the Apocalypse games. As far as Cthulhu Tech's publishing history, I know I'm bouncing around here a little bit, but they were origin- they were published initially by something called EOS Press, and then Mongoose Publishing did publish, and then it moved to Catalyst Games, who are be- probably best known for Battletech. Um, maybe they do... Do they do Shadowrun too? I don't know. I don't play Shadowrun. I was, I'm a um, Cyberpunk 2020 guy myself. But then they started... I guess Sandstone Publications picked it up, and now Wildfire publishes it. And it's actually out. You can get the PDFs, but I don't, there's not a print version right now. Uh, there might be print on demand. But they're working on a second edition. I think just Wildfire is, and I think they're going to do it themselves. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, the, my understanding of the system, it's been a little while since I've read it, but my understanding of the system is it, it is dipole system. You do use D10s. You're right there. And what happens is you roll your D10s and you got a target number and you have three different ways you can do it. You can either the roll, add up the roll and, and that's your number. You, I'm sorry, you either take the highest die you rolled and that's your result and you get to add this to your skill or whatever. So you're adding it to something. But out of your dice pool, you can either take the highest number, you can take the highest straight you know, so four, five, six, or you can take pairs. So if you're all like two nines, I might be wrong on that, but I think that's right. I'd have to go back. But it's, it's an interesting dynamic because you have some choices. Now, do you really have choices? I don't know. You, you should always take the best result. So I don't know if you really have any choices. It's not an interesting result. Like, well, if I take the straight, that gives me this advantage and this negative. And if I take the pairs, this it gives me this advantage for that negative. You know, really, you're always shooting for the best result is my understanding. So I don't know if it really is an option, if it really, it, it gives you different ways to get numbers, but I, but I don't know that there's any choice in there because I don't know why you would take a suboptimal result. And maybe I just don't know the system enough. Maybe Anthony can answer that because he's going to talk back through the tech a little bit. He, they, they actually ran a campaign of it. So I'm, I'm curious, Anthony, if you, if there's an advantage to taking a suboptimal result out of the dipole. But before we turn it over to Anthony, I want to mention that, um, yeah, the tactic skill is interesting, and Anthony's going to talk about tactic skill, because that was one thing Sam asked, like how do people use tactic skills? So I'll, I'll let Anthony weigh in on how they used it. And suppressive fire is also an interesting, interesting mechanic, the way different games incorporate that. So thank you for weighing in on those things, Carl. And I, I really appreciate the call. Uh, you and I have played in some Monster of the Week games together, Carl. I, I'm sure you remember that. And you, you weren't running them, but we were both players in them. And and I, I my memory of those games are they were pretty fun. Um, so, yeah, I mean... A, Definitely Power of the Apocalypse is a little bit different animal, but it's it's a fun game, and I do recommend people give it a shot. It's definitely a different feel than a, you know, a traditional game, um, but that doesn't make it bad. It's just different. There's definitely room in the role-playing hobby for all these different games. But to get back to a little bit of talk about Cthulhu Tech, and then also getting into the idea of simulating the the, the real world in your game 
and the tactic skill, I'm going to turn it over to Anthony, also known as Runeslinger, Casting Shadows. Hey Jason, it's Anthony calling in from the car again because the speak pipe message I just left, I think, is just a bad recording. So rather than use it, if it even you know, was completed, let's use this instead. So I've just listened to your Down But Not Out episode, enjoyed it a lot, and it gave me two things to call in about. First one is Cthulhu Tech. <laughs> yes. You have tastefully described it uh, exactly as I have. You know, the, the game system can be quite interesting. Some of the framework for, uh, you know, the main idea of the setting is really quite cool. And when we played it, there was an awful lot that we had to ignore. Uh, I, I don't read the scenarios and that sort of stuff, so uh, I was less aware of, uh, <laughs> of how tone-deaf and problematic uh, it can be. But as other people in the group were considering whether or not they wanted to run it, they of course read the scenarios and uh, were, were quite turned off on the, the setting as it, as it was. Not the setting that we were playing, but the setting as it's as it's actually presented, and as they you know went through more of the settings source books uh, became more so. So it, it's interesting. Uh, the system itself we ultimately found to be for forum play and for you know video conference play, generally speaking, too much and a, a lot of math going on. But it doesn't mean that you can't harvest the salvageable part of the, of the setting to, you know, do some cool uh, cosmic horror mecha stuff on your own. And uh, so if, if a second edition is coming, I'll definitely consider it, uh, but with caution. <laughs> As for tactics, yeah, that's, that's interesting, right? Uh, I agree with a lot of what Sam said. My my background is that is in playing a lot of heavily detailed games and where a lot of that detail is based pretty much entirely in the system. So uh, a tactics check like he describes uh, is used to give insight into you know what the what the enemy is probably doing. The more successful you are, the, the you know the, the better hints or support information is given to you about the terrain. Like, what can you do in this situation, or what opportunities are open to you that the character sees that the player might not. These kinds of things, like a, a knowledge roll in Call of Cthulhu or or whatever, tactics has served that function. Uh, also, giving you insight into what. The enemy's position might allow, or what the the enemy's method of fighting or fighting equipment might allow or encourage them to do or want to do, that kind of stuff. So in games like The Moral Project, this can often be <laughs> often be a very important skill in that it's somewhat time-consuming to make you know a character for the Moral Project, but the injury rules 
are catastrophic. And I, I don't think I've played or read any game with as detailed a set of rules for ballistic injury as I have in, in Moral Project. And playing the fourth edition, I think, was my most enjoyable exploration of, of all of that. But, you know, the very fragility of the characters, the very lethality of, of the system synergizes in a great way to create you know, quote-unquote realistic play, even if you're playing with people who don't have a military background. Um, there are, you know, ways that you can reach and you know, a shared experience of, of a situation due to the highly detailed rules that, it, you know, in a sense informs you on how to play. But these days, I don't really have the time for for that type of play, and playing online, you know, restricts the length of play and the sort of tools that I might feel comfortable, you know, bringing into play. And so I find that I'm using more abstract systems, but this doesn't remove the desire for that level of satisfaction about exactly what is the character doing and and what is the result of that action or how does that influence uh, how this particular combat or interaction plays out but I'm you know I've learned to be satisfied with extrapolating from the role what must have gone on in order to you know to achieve a particular outcome in mech warrior the fourth edition a time of war and how it links up with the Battletech skirmish game, we have tactics linked up with leadership. And one way that I've really enjoyed using that is, you know, how is the commander's ability to communicate their tactical understanding of the situation to the rest of their troops or the rest of their squad or, or whatever. And that's kind of interesting. In, the, in Battletech itself, when you're playing with the most zoomed-in level, right, the infantry level, of, of the rule set, then leadership and tactics uh, communicate together in order to provide an initiative bonus, which in that game is incredibly important uh, because it, it's the sort of initiative where the winner moves best, meaning they get to see enemy placement uh, before they have to commit to their own move, which then you know, gives them more advent advantageous firing options. So in the role-playing game, how that translates is, like Sam was talking about, you give them insight into enemy opportunities and enemy intentions. And even though it's going to be playing out over more rounds of play, because at that zoomed-in level, uh, you know, the, the, the turns are actually shorter. And so it's not going to affect their initiative bonus at that level of play, you know, where they're moving for position, where they're where they're scouting and doing reconnaissance. But it can give them other, let's say, more narrative or descriptive benefits about enemy state of mind and the terrain and, and so on. So it's excellent when someone bothers to take those skills and you know allow you to fill in more of the environment so that you know the game experience becomes richer on that in character level. Anyway, I think this is long enough. 
Have a great day. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Lots of great stuff there. I, yeah, thank you so much, Anthony. Thanks for calling in. I'm curious, but I'm not going to weigh in on the tactic skill this episode. I'm going to see if anybody else wants to weigh in on that tactic skill idea before I, I weigh in on that. So we can kind of keep this conversation going. As far as detail, really detail oriented, the, you know, lots of modifiers compared to more abstractness. I think Anthony really nailed something where he talks about, you know, in person, it's easier to have all those little modifiers compared to online. And, and I kind of agree with that. I think in our in-person groups, it, it's, it's just more, I don't know, it's interesting because you wouldn't think it should matter. And I'm sure some people are going to call in to say, no, it doesn't matter. But, but I think there is a difference there and it, it, it's kind of interesting. And, and even the same thing like with die pools, right? It, if you're rolling real dice compared to a die, to a, a dice roller, uh, you know, digital dice roller with those die pools, especially if you're not using a die, a digital roller that shows the dice, but it just lists the numbers out, you know, it's a different, it's a different feeling. Um, so honestly, if we're going to talk a little more abstract stuff, one game I think actually does a really good job and you wouldn't think it would is Palladium Books game Recon. And now it's out there as revised Recon. But Recon started as a miniatures combat game, a miniature skirmish game. And it had all the modifiers, and it was really detailed. But then when it turned into a role-playing game, when Palladium picked it up and turned that miniature combat rules, which you can find a, the basic version of in the back of Re- Palladium's Recon, they made it into more of a role-playing game. The original Recon rules are more detailed than what's published in the Palladium book. I, I've got the old original game. game. But... The Palladium version, they really abstract it out. So for firefights in Palladium, you're either in, and I don't have the book in front of me right now because, like I say, I'm sitting in the car, but it basically in Palladium, you're in one, if you're in a gunfight, you're in one of three conditions. You're either, in a, you're either being ambushed, you're ambushing somebody else, or it's a straight-up firefight, right? And so your modifiers, they just basically say, well, if you're ambushing somebody else, you get these bonuses. You know, it's a lot easier to hit them, right? If it, if you're being ambushed, well, it sucks for you, so you've got, you know, this chance to hit. And if it's a, a stand-up fight, if it's a, you know, straight-up firefight, this is your, your chance to hit. And that's modified by your skills and stuff. But it's really, it, it just nails it down to those three conditions. And, you know, people might say, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. But when we ran Recon, Carl's in the Recon game I ran, it actually worked pretty well, um, and and it actually boils it down really well and abstracts it, and the game moves along, and and so I think recon, you know, it's not going to hit that niche where if you want to, if if you want to be able to simulate the idea and talk through, well, this turn I'm I'm going to shoot, I'm I'm going to stand behind this tree and shoot around the left side, and, and then I'm going to roll over and shoot around the right side of this tree. You, you know, you're not going to have all the modifiers for that, but it's kind of abstracted into the idea. And, and Recon actually is a really interesting game. It's, you know, basically a Vietnam War role-playing game. Um, and, and it's, but there's rules in there for mercenaries and play it in modern world. Um, well, 
modern world of the 1980s. <laughs> but it, it's um, it, it's actually interesting abstraction of that. If you really want all the modifiers, there are games that do that, right? Aces and eights. We talked about that before. That does it. Um, Aftermath does it. Um, you, you know, it's interesting that Anthony mentioned the Morrow Project. The Morrow Project gives you all those details, um, especially the older versions. The other game that does the, the really detailed wounding stuff, uh, Phoenix Command kind of does it. You know, it it's Phoenix Command is interesting because, you know, when you, you look at it or you hear people talk about, oh, it's super complicated. It's not as complicated as people make it sound to be, right? And Phoenix Command, effectively what it does is you figure out all everything and then you, you're making a shock roll, a system shock roll is effectively what you're doing to put in the parlance of other games. And that's all Cyberpunk does. You know, Cyberpunk 2020, you do the damage, you don't have hit per, you, you do have hit points kind of by body location, but ultimately in Cyberpunk, unless you, you know, hit them in the head and kill them, you, you're doing system shock rolls to, to see if you stay up and keep fighting. Um, and the more damage you take, the harder it is to make those system shock rolls. Although you can do things like if you do enough damage, you can blow somebody's arm off or whatever. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, the other game that does really detailed wounding, like really detailed specific, like what's happening, what the bullet's doing, is the various tri-tac games, Anthony. And that makes sense because, and I can't pronounce, he's, he's gone now, sadly, he's passed away. But I'm, I, I, would, I would do, but if you look up tri-tac, you'll see the, the guy behind TriTac, I'll butcher his name, so I don't want to say I don't want to do that. But he actually had some ties with the Morrow Project, and there was some cross pollination with the Morrow Project and you know Bureau Thirteen, Stalking the Night, Fantastic, and FTTL twenty forty forty two four four eight, and Incursion, and um, Fringeworthy, the the big TriTac games. But the TriTac games had a really detailed wounding system as well. They had a simplified version, or you could, you could either play the simple, the basic version or the really detailed version. And I really like the TriTac games, and I really like the way they do it. Um, and I think the TriTac games would be actually really well suited towards a play-by-post game, because in a play-by-post game, you know, it's not a big deal if the GM takes a little while to figure out what all happened with the bullet, because, you know, you're not wasting table time by by do, figuring out that those details. They've recently released a new version of, I think, Incursion, and there's a player's book out there for it. Um, and they've simplified all that stuff, and I kind of think it's lost something by doing it. I, I really liked the the original TriTac system, and you can still get those PDFs on Drive Through RPG. And, and I do recommend checking those games out. Bureau 13 especially is a favorite of mine. Bureau 13, you know, first came out in the 80s. It predates X-Files. It predates um, Delta Green. Delta Green Steel, maybe Steel's is the wrong word. Delta Green, if you read Bureau 13 and then you're, you know, or Stalking the Night Fantastic, the original, and you read Delta Green, Delta Green took, the, there has to be, it's hard to think that Delta Green, did, they didn't read that, right? There's, there's a lot of things in Bureau 13 that are, or Delta Green that are very similar to Bureau 13. Um, so, you, you know, I, I think those tri-tech games have made a big influence. I mean, the same thing like with, um, was it Fringeworthy and Stargate? I mean, you know, there's, you, you know, Fringeworthy is Stargate before the Stargate movie or any of that stuff ever came out. It, it, that's what it is, you know, and you can do things like sliders with it or whatever, but they're really neat games, but they have that real detailed, um, wounding system in there too. So I'm, I'm 
going to kind of stop wittering here. We're, we're a little bit over half an hour, so I'm, I'm going to cut this show off. Uh, I'm curious to see. I think there's definitely a place at the table for both kinds of games, both for the role-playing game where, where you get into combat, you switch to skirmish mode, and, and you're doing all the details, and there's room for a more simulation, or I'm sorry, more abstract version of that. I think both can be simulationist in some degree, right? Because you're trying to simulate real life. But, you know, having a bunch of plus ones and plus threes and plus fives doesn't necessarily simulate it any more than saying, okay, it's a chicken shoot, so your chance to hit, you know, you have a, you have a plus 30 to hit or you have a minus 70 to hit because you're being ambushed. You know, where it's all kind of boiled into one number. I don't think one's necessarily more accurate, because none of this is real-world accurate, right? We're trying to do our best to give that feeling. And and both, I think both approaches are acceptable. It just depends what your group's in the mood to play. And sometimes you want that detail. I really enjoyed the Aces and Eights game where we're counting second by second. And so, you know, you're, you're drawing and taking aim, so... You know, that's what your character's doing the next four seconds or whatever it is, right? I, I'm not, I don't have the book in front of me, to, but, you, you know, and it and details it out. I think those kind of games can be a lot of fun. Um, but there's also a time where you don't want to mess with that. You just want to roll die to get a result, to, you know, because you want to get the game moving. And, and arguably a super narrative game with hardly any die rolling can be just as simulationist. You know, you can be just as simulationist playing something like Wushu, honestly, because how you're simulating the genre or real life, you know, because simulationist doesn't mean it's the real world, but it means you're, you're simulating a genre. You're sim- trying to simulate something. So you can be simulationists when you're playing a cartoon game, you, you know, or a simulationist trying to be Star Wars, the next generation, the role-playing game. Um, and, and so di- different people have different definitions and different ways they use these terms but ultimately if you're simulating something <laughs> right and and so you can do that and if everybody is in the mindset like everybody's seen star trek the next generation we're trying to simulate that you could use a super rules like game and do that and or or world war ii combat game you know we're gonna we're, we're gonna do the dirty dozen but we're gonna do it just narratively and if everybody's describing you know, realistic, I'm taking cover, I'm aiming, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. It, it can ultimately be just as satisfying experience as, you, you know, well, I'm taking cover, so it's plus 10 for this modifier and plus 12 for that modifier, minus 30 for that modifier. Neither one's wrong. I think they're both totally applicable. I think sometimes, though, you you want one and sometimes you want the other. So, uh, but I personally do enjoy both approaches. It just depends the group I'm playing with and what we're doing. I think the super fiddly modifiers, like Anthony, I prefer those in person. Like, I still like Battletech. I, I still enjoy, you know, all that fiddly stuff, but I enjoy doing it more in person than I do, I think, online. So, I don't know. Kind of curious on people's thoughts on that. Um, do you find you like more abstraction in your online games than in your in-person games? Or are you the opposite? I'm curious to hear that. And I'm curious also to hear how other people use the tactic skill in various games. So I mentioned earlier all the ways to contact me. All that stuff's in the show notes. So reach out. Thank you again to all my callers. And until I talk to you again on System Sunday, be excellent to each other. 
Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to see him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, your butcher is a dustman and your moil is by a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away.